There was a time not so long ago when software had a shelf life of 5, 10, 20 years, right? Of course, there was a time before that when software was written for very specific machines like an Atari 2600. And those programs still run today on those very specific machines, right? Their shelf life is unlimited. But I'm talking about the PC era when there were constantly new machines and new operating systems being released by a variety of companies. um, And yet old software would still run on the newer stuff for years and years. That time is over. We're on a treadmill now, and it kind of has to be that way. Say you use a program called Buggy, and you know this could be a text editor or a piece of messaging software, or whatever it is you actually install on your computer anymore. Uh, and say this program Buggy uses OpenSSL. Well, if OpenSSL releases a critical patch, nobody's going to wait to see what the Buggy team thinks about the new version. The old OpenSSL library, the one that's buggy, is going to be deleted off your computer with prejudice, and the new one dropped in in its place. Um, And so buggy will immediately start using this new and improved OpenSSL version that it was never tested with. And the longer this goes on and the more stuff gets updated, the greater the difference between the environment on your computer and any environment in which buggy could possibly have been tested by its maintainers. Eventually, something breaks. Now, a security-sensitive library like OpenSSL may sound like a special case, but really it's not. For one thing, you don't know which software on your computer is security-sensitive. But also, you're going to get updates that fix other non-security bugs. You probably want those fixes. You definitely want the security fixes. And given that, the optimum strategy is to keep updating everything. As soon as, as long as, as long as all your software stays on the treadmill, you're okay. But unmaintained software now rots. It happens fast. And that's what we're here to talk about today. This is Nash Dev, a podcast about software engineering and the Nashville developer community. I'm Jason Wardorf. I'm Lisa French. I'm Rodney Norris. And I'm William Golden. And we're produced by Clark Buckner and Chuck Bryant of Relationary Marketing. So yeah, that's very interesting. I feel like I've witnessed this happen in my career, uh, especially through the progression of my career, because I started manufacturing companies as like overhead, where all I worked on was internal applications, uh, web apps and ASP, ASP ASP.NET that never touched the internet, that only internal employees used. And I'm pretty sure some of those apps I wrote eight years ago are still in use but they don't have the internet to contend with. And then I worked on, you know, WinForms applications that were very specific to machines and hardware. And now I work in consumer facing software as a service where the shelf life of software is very short. Few minutes maybe. Yeah, few <laughs> minutes. I, I mean, I, I think we talk about like 18 months for JavaScript code like at right now just because yeah. of the way frameworks change and things like that. And it's like I think there's part of it's the frameworks changing, part of it's just wanting new features for your users, wanting new user interface. Like that u- user interface we tried and now it's old and busted and we want the new hotness. Yeah. Um and that's not even bringing into security concerns and just, you know, maintenance of your code. That's just through, you know, I want new features. Right. Yes, yeah, so there's two sides, right? There's, yeah. there's, there's what you want 
and what your customers want, yes. which is like constantly improving, evolving software that feels modern or whatever. Yeah. But there's also like, it just won't work <laughs> after yes. a while, um, or it will become vulnerable, become a security risk after a while if nobody's looked at it. Um, I was I was about to give a talk one time on on security and web apps, and I happened to have a conversation with Jason Myers, and he said, you know, I told him what I was going to talk about, which was like cross-site scripting and the other, you know, the kind of the classic mistakes that web developers make that make their apps vulnerable. And he said, no, really what is gonna get you hacked is not having your servers patched. You know, you're running an old version of MySQL, then you're, gonna, you're, you're dead in the water, right? It doesn't even matter how bad your own code is. You know, you're, somebody's gonna hack you without even knowing they did it because they just have a mass across the entire internet uh, yeah, and we live in a time where bugs have names like Heartbleed and <laughs> all this, all this stuff, right? Like the, it's the the underlying dependencies of the system that's being compromised versus, you know, Joe Smo, you know, framework right. that's being compromised. And you're, if it if you are unlucky enough to where it's your bug, <laughs> it's not just your system that's at risk. It can be the entire system or the entire company system. Because it was like Target got hacked through their HVAC system, and they got access. To really? It. really? Yeah, that's what, when when Target all their credit card n numbers and everything. It was, if, if I remember correctly, their HVAC system that they used to control the air conditioning when the store was closed had a vulnerability. They got into the system that way, and then the credit card numbers weren't encrypted when they were in memory on the machines. So that they were encrypted when they you know save and all the receipts and all that. But in memory on the actual registers, they weren't encrypted. And because they got in through the HVAC system, they were on all the systems. And that's how they got the numbers. So the HVAC was connected to the to, internet. To just their, their, it, like, their internal network. Their yeah. Fire. Mm -hmm. Okay. Was, why, was it, why is the HVAC connected to the internet? I, so they, I don't so know that much you could say, So they could monitor it from home base and turn the H, H, um, AC down at night the and internet save of money. Things. Yep. <laughs> right. We're all doomed. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, the, so, so the Internet of Things is really interesting for, to me because embedded software is still in that Atari 2600 phase a lot. You know, you write for a very specific um, processor, mm -hmm. and, you know, that's still C++ land and everything has to be perfect. And, you know, firmware upgrades are possible, but you can't depend on that. Yeah. So you have an entire section of engineers who are used to writing in that and now let's stick a wi-fi device on that and oh. hook it up to the internet for your light bulbs or your thermostat or all that and and you you see vulnerabilities like oh they didn't patch the server and uh just the shortcut for your light bulb your you know, whatever brand light bulb to be able to control it from your phone it runs a web server and that's how it works. And it's just some open source web server that never gets patched because it's on an embedded device now instead of on someone's server. And there's, you know, 20 vulnerabilities that have been discovered since that was written five years ago and you never updated the firmware on your light bulb. Yeah, that reminds me of a story I read in, I think it was like 2600. It was like a, like a hacker story. Probably, it's probably made up. But it's um, <laughs> like people's printers were getting hacked, right? And people were just like storing like rootkits on a printer to get compromised people's networks and stuff like that. Like these, like a printer, you don't think of a printer 
being a vulnerability on your network, right? Like, like an, an average everyday consumer is not going to say, oh yeah, my, my printer scanner combo is going right. to leak my bank details out, right? Like, mm-hmm. or my credit card. But it's, it's just kind of like the, the environment we found ourselves in. It's kind of crazy. Within a company, what type of role typically would look after all of those things that are connected? Um, so a large company like that, you would it'd be you know sys sys admins. That's that team, and then if, depending on how big the company is, they may have you know security teams that that is kind of like that do pen testing and all that kind of stuff. But I'm, I'm not 100 percent sure because I'm just a lowly developer who writes the security vulnerability bugs. <laughs> <laughs> so this is, I mean, we we've been talking a lot about the stuff that doesn't get patched, mm-hmm. but. What I wanted to discuss is, like, the stuff that does get patched is what breaks you, right? Yeah. Because if you depend on some software, and then you must, like, you really need to be upgrading that software, um, at least if you have anything that's open to the network. Um, Because like you were saying, the HVAC software is security sensitive. You don't know what's security sensitive. You really don't know. So you have to keep updating it's like um, analogous of, of like finding a uh, an ancient civilization or an indigenous people somewhere, right? <laughs> like really and then you bring yeah. them into a society, and they they, they no longer fit. They, they don't. Their current way of living doesn't fit with the modern culture or something. Yeah, you can you can if, if you right if you have old code, it's like that. So now what? Right? Like I mean, isn't is this bad? <laughs> or I don't know. Like, I wrote does... I wrote some stuff. I wrote some code in Elm, or actually a friend of mine did. I wrote some code in Elm. Uh, it's a zero point something programming language, right? So you expect things to break a little bit. Um, but between zero dot fourteen and the latest, which is zero dot seventeen, it's like a different language. It's th- like the main concepts of the language are completely different. That code is totally dead. I mean, like I'm trying to revive it, but it takes more spare time than I actually have. That's like with the reactive router. Like when you the pre 1.0 release, like that change, like the API changed every single release, every single release. And that's not knocking the project. That's that's kind of the price of progress, I guess you could say. But like, man, it was frustrating, especially as a, when I was teaching it. I was teaching students how to use this during their projects, and like. Every week, the API would be different. Yeah. It seemed like every yeah. week. And, and, and I think that's kind of like the, the good slash bad thing about Simver is people take that as like, oh, it's not 1.0 yet. I'm going to make changes as I need to, to to fit it. But at the same time, it's out there and people are using it. And I think, you know, some people do better jobs about like being deliberate about it. I know, you know, Rust wasn't 1.0 for a long time and they made lots of changes over the course of a long time. Elixir did the same thing. And if you have a lot of modules that are have moved to Angular two, and you know, then those are out of sync, right? Um, yeah. And and even something like Java, which you think is maybe like a little, I mean, not as like crazy as JavaScript world. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that they recently, with version eight, um, changed like the paradigm, didn't they? Do y'all know much about that? I don't know anything about Java. I feel like I, I like hear that, they, that that something's broke. Yeah, like I, I know I know it. Why well, I believe I don't know that much about Java, but that it's supposed to be backwards compatible. But mm-hmm. that it moving to this paradigm that if you want to stay updated, like it was just totally like um, just, just a different way of yeah. of writing things. Yeah. Um, and then you you know the. Uh, 
I or uh, Swift, you know, whatever. Was oh, Apple's that. the the Swift programming yeah. language. Uh, what what was before that? I mean, it's Objective C um, is what like how you you would write uh, native apps prior prior to that prior to Swift, and now Swift is kind of like a a secondary language on top, not on top of it, but as a substitute for Objective C. You could still use Objective C in parallel, but yeah. Right? I don't know. I just write JavaScript. I know. <laughs> it's I hard enough like to keep up with JavaScript. A lot of little things, and it just all gets confused. Um, I know that, like, even from like a learning standpoint, I um, last year um, during one of those O'Reilly half-off sales, I bought like a hundred bucks worth of Angular books or something, and, jo- and other JavaScript things. And a few months later, it's like, Ang- you know, well, it's React, and then it's Angular too, and it's just, you know, it's um, that's not something that I even get to write. We don't, you have, we have a different type of templating language that we use, yeah. um, but it's not something. It was kind of something I wanted to do on the side, so that's much limited time. And by the time I was able to sit down with it, I was like, oh well, you know, it's just, I like you were saying that you've you know, you've witnessed bit rot earlier and I feel like I've never witnessed c- my code lasting. Right. Um, yeah. I've been at this a little, about over three years and, um, and, and on the front end. And so all I've ever known is like the churn and, um, I like, it's like something wow. that I obsess about. Like I, would love to know how I could write code that could last a year. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like, yeah, I just, um, I I try to think about how can I make things more reusable and like I definitely have this perfectionist side and so it really, it it can drive you crazy just trying to figure out how to um, build architect something before you even write the code. Mm-hmm. Um, I try to get in there and learn it and stuff, but it, you know, it's just. So you say it doesn't last. Is, is that like a tooling thing? Like the, the, the tools that your team, no, uh, the team, the tools that your team uses no longer apply anymore? Or is that like the code itself just doesn't work anymore? Some of it is the tooling and some of it is a standards. So standards are evolving and you have to, you like, a code, code gets rewritten because of that or yeah yeah and um we recently um like a lot of people have bootstrap um uh, that was real <laughs> um we we have bootstrap as um something that we use and so it took us a couple cycles to update everything to bootstrap three and then um like bootstrap four is like a dirty word now <laughs> <laughs> like, like I'm super excited about a lot of things it has, but it's just like I can't even bring it up. Like, I guess really it, it comes down to um, backwards compatibility and like you know what what libraries do you depend on, what tools do you depend on, and how do their maintainers deal with backward compatibility, and are they really serious about it? Uh, I know like when Python went from version two to version three. They broke everything in the language. Really, they, they strings went from one kind of string to like eight-bit strings to Unicode strings. Um, so like projects just didn't work. Uh, and the that was how long ago was that? Was it like five years ago, seven years ago? 
we'll figure it out. But yeah, it's but it, it, it it's still the, playing the adoption out. Is super low. This option though, has right? been really really slow for them because people you know people because because upgrading is a really heavy task for anybody, right? It's like PHP seven. Um, I think it was at OSCon, uh, Rasmus was talking about it, and they're changing how operator precedence works. It's a breaking change in the language, right? So it's what? not gonna it's not gonna work. Some of the stuff wow. that's existing is no longer, and the PHP is is pretty um, prevalent, right? It's like it's one of the most used, yeah. it's one of the most distributed or one of the most deployed languages out there in terms of web. I feel like that's a more modern thing. Like I feel like five years ago, ten years ago. In my career, you didn't see that as much. Breaking changes, like breaking change, changes in languages. Like I, I came from .NET. I did .NET for nine years, and they did it at the beginning. Like to .NET two, there was breaking changes, but then all the way through the current version of .NET four point five, four six, it, it's all backwards compatible. Like where, where does that uh, desire for backwards compatibility? get lost along the way. I think part of it is, is in terms of innovation, right? I, yeah. I think if you look at the, the Windows operating system, it's um, it's backwards compatibility may have held held its innovation back, right? It has to, it, like the, the kernel had to support all these things mm-hmm. and they kept just kind of adding things, adding things, adding things, adding things. And they, at some point, were, were unable to completely innovate the operating system. I mean, the Windows 10 is great, right? Um, and when, I mean, I'm not going to be, <laughs> I don't disparage Windows at all. Uh, I, don't, I don't use it any longer, um, personally, but. Uh, I, I just installed Windows 10. Yeah, well, like, so the uh, Ubuntu. Uh, Bash on Windows. That's, 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 it, I think that's what got me back to it. Yeah, I'm, to I'm, it a try. I'm hi- highly considering just giving it a shot to see how, how, great, how good it is. Um, but that being said, like, that backwards compatibility, I, I, would, I, I would really be curious to see, like, how much that hampered their ability to deliver features, right? Um, and the other question yeah. is, oh, sorry, go ahead. But this, this operator precedence thing really, it, it seems like, well, I don't know about, let's go back to Python because I actually, sure. actually kind of know what that example is about. Um, I guess strings aren't the only thing that they broke, but that's, that's sufficient, right? That was not, I don't know. It wasn't necessary, right? Like they, they didn't have to change that. And it was just like a, Look, we're progressing, kind of thing. Or? Well, no, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> strings are really like, especially Unicode strings can can be challenging in Python too. I, like, I haven't done Python a ton, but the little bit I've done it, we've run into problems with Unicode strings in Python. Well, you'll still find it. In, you still run into problems with Python three, though. Oh, like, all, all it is is the the kind of the standard type that you're going to use all the time for everything mm. is yeah. Unicode by default. Now so you just run into cool. more frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the re- huh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, trolling. <laughs> <laughs> Something else I want to touch on, though, to like totally change the su- subject again mm-hmm. on you, um, is that uh, we now have more dependencies than we used to have, right? Like, it used to be that, you know, you would depend on Python or PHP or .NET, right? But, and that's a pretty big dependency. But at least, whatever it was, it was managed by a team, um, and that team had at least like a policy around breaking changes. Yeah. Right. And now it's a little bit different in that I'm depending on thousands of packages written by who knows. Like I think I think the JavaScript community's been super successful at making it so that anybody 
can write a library, get it published, get users, and like be a part of the JavaScript ecosystem, which on the one hand is awesome and like a major strength of that ecosystem. Um, but on the other hand, like that trust relationship uh, is that's tough. You know, you, you take on a dependency and you could be taking on a thousand dependencies and you know, that's your job to look at all of them and they may change over time and you don't know that. And those people may take Simver seriously or they may not. Um, and they'll break you. Do, do you think the, the lack of a, a comprehensive standard library in JavaScript is, is part of the problem? Uh, that's a really good question. Can we get something like STL or something in C++, you know, like? Well, C++ doesn't have a very good standard library either. Sure. <laughs> what does that mean, standard library? Yeah, so, oh, sorry. Could I could have feel this one automatically. This is my job. This is, this is J- Jason's <laughs> the most qualified person to answer this question. Would that be like if we all just decided to go with React or something? No, it's, okay. it's, it's different. See, so, there, so JavaScript, the language has a standard. It's this like 700 page PDF mm-hmm. of like, well, it's not a PDF anymore, it's HTML now. <laughs> um, uh, thank goodness. But uh, <laughs> JavaScript has a standard. It's this like 700 page HTML file of like exactly what the syntax of the language is and exactly what every single thing that you can do in JavaScript exactly does. Um, and it has to be that way so that all the different browsers behave the same. Mm-hmm. You probably have had this experience of like having something work just fine, and then you open it up in Firefox or Edge or whatever, and it's completely busted. Um, so to cut back on that, all the browsers are actually doing a pretty good job now of trying to hew to the web standards. Well, the standard library is simply like the library features that are present in that standards document, right? So for example, um, arrays have certain methods in JavaScript. They have a map method. They have a sort method, so you can just like call it, and your array gets sorted. Um, that stuff is built into the language standard, and it's available on all the browsers without you having to do anything. You know, my you favorite is array from. Array, array from. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's yeah. because it's because Will wrote. Uh, Will wrote Firefox's implementation of array.from. <laughs> Shameless. I don't, I don't think, did, did I don't think really? he's ever used it. Yeah. I, 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 know, I don't ever use it. No, <laughs> not, not once. Did you really? Great. Yeah. Nice. Jason did. Like, I helped. I was, I was just there for moral support. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, so, but the question is, like, if there were more standard library stuff, yeah. well, like, would that help? Like PHP, right? Like PHP uh, uh, as a language, it has... Like, when you look at, like, the top-level language, part of the language, right, like, the built-in functions, like, Python has, like, 17 or something, right, or maybe, maybe less than that, zip. Uh, yeah, sure, and, whatever. Yeah, and float and all that. Float and uh, str, string, right. Um, JavaScript has a certain number of them. PHP has, like, hundreds, right, like, in terms of, like, it's built-in, like, you can do array reverse and just yeah. tons of stuff, right, like, tons of things. Um, 
which one's better? Not really sure. But um, in terms of like JavaScript, right? Mm-hmm. There's a t- there's a tons of stuff that um, libraries like Lodash have kind of bubbled up, right? Like oh, yeah, certain yeah, yeah. things like you know. To iterating fill, over, fill the gaps. Fill the, fill the gaps. So we're exactly. saying instead of having those libraries that actually be, that would actually be a benefit to be built into the language. And aren't they now trying to um, come out with new JavaScript yearly? Yeah, yes. there's a new standard every year, and they do add stuff to the standard library. But, but the bar is really high because. Because the whose who's bar? There's a standard committee that, that oh, decides oh. what goes in, mm-hmm. and their reasoning is that they're not qualified. They don't know what what all is it's needed into the language, needed. right? I think to give the the community credit, right? They've done a really good job of taking really good parts of other languages and. And just distilling down how the lang- how the, the language JavaScript itself is being used across the ecosystem, and and trying to improve it, improve it, right? Um, but yeah, I mean, I like I like what the standard committee's done. I mean, I like I'm a fan of what's in ES6, and I'm a fan of what's in ES7, or like the ES26. What year is it? Sixteen. <laughs> <laughs> uh, ES but like new they, date. They, they they can't eliminate the need for libraries, right? They can't like the thing is like the the stuff that they if they were going to standardize something, they have this phrase on that standard committee that they like to pave the cow paths, which is to say, what? right? So this is which is to say like, um, wait, I think I get it. Right, like there's, you, if you have a if you have a park, I used to live in the country. <laughs> if, if you have. <laughs> Boom mood. <laughs> that was me. <laughs> that was the comic relief. <laughs> so pave the cow path. Well, it means they're going to standardize stuff that's already super widely used, right? Mm-hmm. So if they were going to standardize something, they would pick features from underscore or something. But that's a library that's already really well maintained. It has an owner, like a whole, a whole probably an underscore foundation by now. I don't know. Um, and that's kind of the, the, the difference between the, between the standard library and using a library because they can add stuff to it, they can improve it, whatever, and they don't have to wait for an entire release cycle of the language implementation, right? Like you don't, they don't wait, they don't have to wait for browsers, they don't have to wait for uh, the committee to approve it. So there's there's that trade-off, right? Right. The standards committee moves super slow. So why why is that? Well, they just the okay. caution or well, so they, they they have these face-to-face meetings. They meet once a month. Or twi- once, I don't know, once every two months or something, um, and that's. I, I guess, the deal with standards is that it's a committee, so oh, yeah. right. So um, so for example, if you wanted to get something into underscore, you have to convince one person, one underscore maintainer. Um, if you want to get something into JavaScript, the standard, you have to convince convince a committee of dozens of people and the actual like seal of approval goes onto that standard once a year so it won't even really be official for another six months at least so what would that look like if if the committee was able to keep up and the standard was able to keep up um, and you didn't have to use 
so many or the like libraries would you, right. would you then have to um write your rewrite your um your code like to kind of add on this functionality or make sure you're pulling out libraries or oh right so so the other thing that the standard committee has to contend with is they're super careful about backwards compatibility um, and all of the web standards committees are the mantra is don't break the web um, because if they add a well, new yeah. standard that changes the behavior of some web pages that's something that no browser will implement right they, they so put that on like a sheet cake at the the meetings don't break don't the break web the <laughs> 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 it's a good idea cake. <laughs> We should have a sheet cake for this podcast. We should. <laughs> what, the hell? what are you thinking? Something. Some kind maybe, of edibles. Maybe our 100th episode. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll never make it to 100 <laughs> episodes. <laughs> what are we kidding? We'll have we to save that it. for the 100th episode. <laughs> um, so, yeah, what, what, would that, what would that look like? Would you just, okay, a new version's out. You just kind of update some things in your code base and point to... It's wow! It's so different from uh, evolving something a library like underscore, because if if underscore adds new features and you want them, what do you do? You have to like whatever your team's process is for upgrading. You have to you know turn the crank and get a new underscore library into your app. Uh, that's pretty easy. Whereas if the standard adds a new feature. Um, what, what do you have to do? Well, you have to wait for all of your customers to be using new browsers that have this feature built in. Um, yeah. <laughs> right? Um, or if you are really, really lucky, it's a feature that you can polyfill. You, know, you, can, you can use a JavaScript library that just kind of sl slides that feature into the, the browsers that are not quite ready yet. Right? Like Babel does a good job of that. Like a lot of the ES uh, 2015, mm -hmm. 2016 features that are out right now or that they're in standard being implemented in the browsers some browsers don't fully support that so Babel will take your ES 6 or 7 code and use this dirty word called transpiling <laughs> and basically takes the code and converts that code back down to ES 5 code that, that the browsers do support fully I hate that word I know that's a terrible word <laughs> I hate that's that it. word because it just like it means the exact same thing as another word that already existed but they had to invent a new word so that they sounded modern and JavaScript -y. <laughs> it's such a JavaScript thing it's, that's it's, exactly that's like it's exactly the skinny what jeans wrong of words. JavaScript culture yes it's the skinny jeans of programming <laughs> ecosystems Anyway. But it doesn't always work perfectly, right? Babel? Well, actually, recently, there was this case where this exact thing that we're talking about happened to Babel. When you take on Babel, what you're not thinking about is you're taking on a dependency, and you're taking on mm. all of Babel's dependencies, which is hundreds of packages. And one of them broke recently. This is kind of, this has actually been given way too much publicity. It got into the mainstream press and everything. Um, but but a mad developer. I didn't see it on the nightly uh, news. Uh, yeah, but you knew the story, right? You, you actually sent us the link. To oh it. yeah. <clears throat> where, where I'm like I'm like one of those people that like I, I'm the last to know. <laughs> I'm like, guys, did you hear about this? I'm like, yeah, three weeks ago where we discussed it. It's <laughs> <laughs> cool. <laughs> I get to know all the JavaScript news. Like, yeah. you're lucky. <laughs> Jason hears about it like, as it's happening. You probably still get invited to parties. Though. I'm like a. 
What parties? I don't think I am. <laughs> JavaScript parties. So I mean, but like I write things that that I just I, I, I write code sometimes that I'm just going to put on GitHub just as example code because I think it's cool, and I like I write code that's just to illustrate something to like show a, a concept, and it makes me sad that that code isn't going to last. Like it's not going to work. It's not going to work in twelve months, um, and it, you know it makes. It makes the return on investment awfully low, right? But what about it doesn't work anymore? Like, like, do you get an error? Does it just no longer valuable? Like, I'm. Yeah, you can't run it anymore. Oh, it like just the, run. So, for example, the, that um, oh, the Elm project thing. that I'm talking about, um, if you try and run it under a, any like more recent Elm version, it just doesn't doesn't run. It won't compile. Um, I think that's a special case though, because Elm is in active development pre 1.0. I think that's the idea behind 1.0s is the mm. at least with languages. Uh, so f- yeah, I'll talk about Elixir. Uh, so when Elixir hit 1.0, that was the contract they were making, and the core team is very deliberate about adding less uh, than they think is needed. Because they have to maintain that. Yeah. So they recently, in like 1.2, implemented a new feature called with, and then they were going to put an else. And then they decided, let's hold off and see how this gets used. And sure enough, that's what people wanted and needed. <laughs> so in 1.3, they're adding the else. But they had talked about it ahead of time, and they decided to hold off and make sure that that was useful before they added it to the language. Yeah. Because once it's in there, they have to maintain it. And they mm-hmm. have to, and they take that very seriously. But before they hit 1.0, they were wrecking shit all over the place. Yeah. So, I, go ahead. I was going to say that it kind of reminds me of like uh, uh, working for a, a software company, like a, a SaaS product, right? At what point do you just no longer maintain features and you just start removing stuff, right? Like at what point do you, you know, as part of the agile process or, or whatever, like you start to use metrics to say, hey, nobody uses this survey tool that we have anymore let's just, uh, so just what just is your policy it, right do you have like a process you go through or is it just a kind of um here here at emma it, it's usually informed by our our product owners they're going to do some uh, they'll, they'll do market sentiment and analysis on you know are our customers using this thing if not do we do have something metrics. better to give them yeah they use metric you know some some kind of what's it called the uh net promoter score so it's various things, right? Yeah. Uh, and then they'll identify if the, a, a certain thing needs to be removed or turned off, and then we'll eventually get to it um, to remove it. You, a lot of us, a lot of our stuff is um, gated behind feature flags and feature yeah. permission flags, so we can turn it off immediately and then eventually go in and clean the code up. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's nice. So <laughs> the, the way the, the way web browsers do it is actually like similarly ad hoc, right? It's just a case by case basis. Um, we'll be like, well, you know, 0.001% of websites are using this feature. So I think we can, I think we can kill it. Um, <laughs> but y'all, you would, uh, put deprecation notices and stuff like that. There wouldn't just be like a blind cutoff, right? No, 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 we would, we would not, we would just delete it. Either, there's, there's two possible cases, either a website somebody cares about is still using it. in which case we can't ever get rid of it. Um, with like deprecation notices, we do it uh, sometimes for stuff like I don't think anybody's using this, but just to make sure. Um, 
uh, or 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 the cases that nobody's using it, in which case we might as well just rip it out, right? Um, so, yeah, I, I spoke too soon. So we do sometimes issue deprecation, but it doesn't help because the the person who's going to see the warning is not the person who can fix it. You know what I mean? Um, whereas if you if you're if your software as a service, I guess it's a little different. Like the person who's going to see that error message is like somebody who's actually looking at logs on a client of yours, mm-hmm. right? I mean, the, that upgrade path is still is still hard. <laughs> like we're you know yeah we use Node and Node is now like what version six dropped and it's gonna that's gonna be the LTS in six months and mm-hmm. the current LTS is version four. You know, I have see things that's still 0.10. with LTS. Oh, sorry. LTS is long-term support. So when Node.js started a foundation and they merged back with the IOJS fork, uh, they... What's IOJS? Oh, (laughs) sorry. IOJS was a fork of Node.js. It's this whole side story. story, Long story. But recently, Node.js decided that they were going to have long-term support it gosh so they decided that they were going to add new features faster but the flip side of that is they had some customers who were really worried about backward compatibility right Mm -hmm. that's exactly the problem we're talking Mm -hmm. about today they have these two different customer bases one that really wants to push forward on the new technology right new javascript features and so forth and then 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 their other you know, enterprises, people, right? Enterprises are more interested in backwards people that so need stability for their customers yeah. to yes. trust them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so what do they do to, to avoid bit rotting their own, you know, uh, enterprise? Yeah. They did hashtag users. YOLO and, and forked. Yeah. Well, <laughs> well no, so, so, so what long-term support is, is yeah. the, basically the alternating versions. So they're going to release a new version of node every six months. Okay. Hmm. Uh, the alternating versions, the evens, are going to be long-term support. So <laughs> versions are maintained for how long? Uh, eighteen months. So it's, it's long. only eighteen <laughs> months to get. So eighteen months from. So, so basically, so, so they dropped. Uh, so, so version six just recently dropped. In six months, it will become the long-term support branch, right? So from that, I'm, and I may be getting this wrong. From that point, you are guaranteed eighteen months of security updates on that branch. So if you take on you, you update all your code to v6 you have 18 months of security updates after 18 months you're on your own <laughs> and you need to upgrade to version 8 so it's just a longer window yes. okay yeah. and, and they are agreeing that the core core team the foundation is agreeing to do security patches and things for that window to give people time to update so large enterprises that have large code bases they now can have a cadence to like okay we're on 0.10 we have within the next year we need to get on version 4.2 and within two years of that we'll have to update to 6 to stay current with OpenSSL patches v8 security patches and all that so it at least gives you time to plan instead of mm-hmm. you know every because v8 releases what every six months six weeks weeks and io was taking v8 as it came out yeah. and they were in the midst of changing their seals plus api and it was breaking changes to native modules every time so it was like breaking like constantly <laughs> and that was like untenable for large enterprises mm-hmm. and people who want st- stable their applications to be stable and be able to have some predictability around it so they worked out this strategy 
So, Ronnie, you were saying that you see you see Node stuff that's written to zero point ten and running on that. Yes, oh, I see it. Well, uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I guess the answer is every organization has to have a plan to upgrade that stuff, right? Because even if you're on an LTS version, yes. it runs out. Like time mm-hmm. runs out. Yeah, we're on a treadmill. Yep, like it's your server software. Everything you write, you're on a treadmill. And you have to keep moving. Yep, but doesn't it kind of feel like a racket? <laughs> it's like we, 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 keep, we, like we get to keep our jobs Job because security. it's a, it's a dangling get rid of us. So you're, you're telling me to stop if, complaining? If you enjoy running on a treadmill sucks. all day. Yeah, it does suck. It sucks. So what, like, yeah. what, what, what is the answer? Where we turn off the internet. God. Yes. <laughs> we start reading newspapers Done. again. Goodbye. I'd like to talk to you about... Um, you mentioned it earlier, Rodney, about design. Mm-hmm. Um, I think a lo- I lose a lot of code there, too, um, with, okay, uh, flat design is the hotness, you know, like you look like a fool, you know, with your skewmorphism button. <laughs> and Yes, plus um, one Scrabble word, mm-hmm. <laughs> skewmorphism. Thank you. I've been working on that. <laughs> um, and... Uh, you know, just, but like, I'm even, we, we actually, at our, we just updated our product to now have three themes and um, a lot of flat design. And even just like when I get a new design and I've been looking at it for a couple months, I even get tired of it after that point, you know, like just yeah. being so close to it. Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing that like, I, I don't love about, you know, things changing too fast, but then like. And I'm like, where did this come from? Like, I remember when I had my first iPhone, I was just like so enthralled with, you know, how beautiful it was. And that lasted so much longer. And it's like this like appetite for things to just change for the hell of it. Or, you know, it's that's another piece that is really um, adding to the, you know, and and then I think some of that drives the making the web do things that it wasn't really built to do and still isn't quite built to do, you know, where you have to throw on so much code and yeah. and modules to keep up with, you know, or dependencies to keep up with. Right, everybody has to have a single-page app now because otherwise we, yeah, it feels so gross. You were mentioning so that when we were preparing page. for the show, like, you know, you, you, have a, you have websites back in the early 90s, you know, like, like Craigslist, like that everything looks like Craigslist. Except for the Space Jam website, that thing's awesome. Yes. Um, but like you know, like the 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 expectation from an end user has reached a crescendo of of like if if you don't have these things, if I, if I don't if the design's not what I expect, the features aren't what I expect, then they're not going to engage anymore, right? They're going to go somewhere else that has that. So like back in the day, you could write a fairly fairly nice website with basic features and stuff like that and, and it was fine but now it's like you have to take it to take it to 11 in spinal tap terms right like it's mm-hmm. and instagram just you know they just changed everything around like it was interesting to hear what people are saying because they were like you were the last holdout on like you know not having this flat design and now it's like wow. just a wash of like everything else of course some people are like oh it's hot you know i don't know um but I've seen some, some some criticism of their new logo. <laughs> like yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, I don't, yeah. Um, 
I'm kind of, I feel like I'm kind of getting over the flat design thing. And I remember being so into it, you know, and, um, I, I almost like, I kind of dig Craigslist a little bit right now because I can find where the links are, you know, like all of this, like just reworking things so much to where they don't even like, it's, it's so hard to predict and it's just like, just changing things. It really feels like for the hell of it. I think everything should look like a BBS terminal. Like an old door game or something. <laughs> okay. Legend of the Red Bulletin board system. So like you used to be able to dial in with a modem or telnet in. Uh, so basically, the, oh, how do I explain this? <laughs> <laughs> so they're, they're, they're before the internet. It was like yeah. No, it was, it was it, like it was like the internet, only less people and only text. Mm. Mm-hmm. So like, yeah. Basically, that Not you, could, in Windows, you could log like, in and play games. Like that's what I I got on it and played games. Like, there was mm-hmm. Legend of the Red Dragon, Drug Wars. Um, they they had they all had amazing like ASCII art. Only not just ASCII, but also the like the extra weird characters that were in the Windows character set that were like the PC character set. Um, so they were col- yeah, and colored and, and, and blinky. It was great. It's so that's right. Awesome. Yeah, there were like sixteen colors. It was amazing. That's all you needed, 16 colors. So, right, those were the days. So, Gosh, probably, so how do we get derailed so easily? I'm like, <laughs> it's, me, it, it's me. I'm sorry. It's I, I need to be on here. It's fine. But I don't know. We're going to talk about solutions, but I don't have any. I, I, I don't know. What is the answer? Well, yeah. so let's talk about what we've got here, and it's that at the rate of things, you're going to have dependencies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's a good thing, right? To not have to write all the code yourself. Well, yeah. So how can you, and what, like, what could we take away? Or like, I'm just trying to think about the problem in a different way. But I I mean, I see a lot about microservices and that kind of super modular where if you do have to change something or a library updates, it's easy to turn off one piece at a time. Um, on the flip side, you could say. Rodney's shaking his head. Is that, well, is that no, no. You've got with? some stories here. Yeah, it's like, um, I think it, it so you, you, sometimes you're trading one problem for another there. Yeah. I, I think yeah, it, it can help, but now you have all these microservices, and then you have to spend time to design them well, or you have the same problem, they're just spread out. And then yep. instead of having one place to update Django, yeah. you now have four places where you have to update. Like, you can do them one at a time. But oh, that's it's it's four different code bases you have to go through and update and spend time on. Um, I think it helps. Um, but, but, uh, but even then, uh, no matter what, you still have to update stuff. Yes, you like still have to update stuff. No, yeah. So, I mean, uh, so my, you still have to, I, I you have to build that in, I think. I, th- I think it's something you just have to, it's one of those things you really have to start to think about and accept and figure out how to, you know, work that into your cycle and work it out with product that hey yeah we need to update these things like this isn't free i mean um, i feel like that you have to you have to make it easy to stay on the treadmill i mm-hmm. think that being on the treadmill is a fact of life and you got to make it easy for your team to update mm-hmm. um and you got to do it regularly and maybe as soon as possible yeah. and to me that means having a test suite um so that you can upgrade and have some confidence you didn't yep. break anything or feel confidence that if you did break anything you know exactly what, what those things is. are mm-hmm. um but then I, I feel like the other part of it is that the, your dependencies are these open source libraries and i think that as an open source community uh we need to do a better job of 
making this one of our values that we don't break people all the time, mm -hmm. right? That like your users depend on you for stability. And when you change anything in a breaking way, you're making work for possibly thousands of people. Yeah. So, so it's funny you were talking about Elm in that way because one of the big pluses I've heard about Elm is because of the way it does its type system is it enforces Simver with libraries. So it can tell if you changed any signatures or if you only, if you just added stuff, then it'll let you do a, a Simver minor bump. But if you change any method signature that is a breaking change, it will not let you publish the package yeah. without bumping the major version. That is super cool. Rust doesn't do it, even though we have the types. Even though Rust has the type system, mm -hmm. they, don't, they don't have that. Mm -hmm. um, oh, I think they should. That, that that said, it is a little oversold, I think, on the website because it, there there are things you can do to break users. Mm -hmm that don't have anything to do with type yeah, yeah. or methods yeah, or anything like that. You can change the behavior inside of that and not change the signature and still break people. Yeah. But it, 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 it's, it's, it's nice, right? It's nice. It's a, it's a level of security or level warm and fuzzy, whatever you <laughs> want to call it. There's a level there of protection that is built into the language that, we have, that I've never seen before. And I think it's an interesting advancement um, and maybe a step in the right direction. I think another thing that we could do to make this problem better is to put a little more value on being 1.0. I mm -hmm. think that right now, like I think that right now that nobody puts a lot of stock in that and people are totally fine using 0.x mm -hmm. libraries, right? Um, uh, but 1.0 is I don't know. Maybe maybe it's too much of a jump. Mm -hmm. Because when people go from 0.x to 1.0, like you said, the Elixir team, that was a major change in the guarantee mm -hmm. that that the language presents to users. And for Rust, it was absolutely the same way. Mm -hmm. As they approached 1.0, things were locked down. Um, well, we're kind of in like a Gmail culture, right? Gmail's been in beta for 15 years or however long it's been around, right? <laughs> like. I didn't know that. <laughs> does it say beta on it? Uh, does this, I, don't, I, don't I don't think know. it still it, says it did beta. for a while. <laughs> for a long time, it said beta. So, like, yeah. does 1.0 still mean what it means to us? Like, where we came up over time learning about software, and 1.0 meant something. I mean, okay, this is this is stable. This is this is the way it's going to be. Right? <laughs> kind of right. Well, uh, when I, <laughs> like when I think of like growing up and and 1.0, I think of like when Microsoft used to release 1.0 and it was always crap. Like 1.0, <laughs> everything was terrible. 1.01 yeah. um, was the... People was don't the... talk about Windows 1.0. There, were the, <laughs> there right. was one, right? <laughs> but the one you know about is Windows 3.1.1. Yeah. Well, like, and like the Windows Apple, for work groups, that was, like, the, that was the one. And the Apple one, they were like buying those back from people. It was the Apple II that was the successful <laughs> one, you know? <laughs> Maybe yeah, we need to get back to this culture where it's okay to have a crappy 1.0. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, but I get what I you're know. saying though. Like the making it um, a best practice, right? Or whatever the version number is. Maybe yeah. 2.0 is the number. It doesn't matter. Yeah. But making it where when you reach that that milestone in your project, that that's when that that those are the a those are the projects that you're looking forward to implement as a dependency. But b yeah. as a, as a maintainer. That's the goal for you to get to a sense of stability, yeah. or, or or sometimes like have some self awareness that like okay I have you know thousands of users now maybe I should you know do my best to either make what is there 1.0 or get there yeah 
instead of just dragging it out for another two, three years and just being like, oh, it's 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 zero dot, so it, that's on you. Yeah, well, that's, there's a little bit of vanity there too. Mm-hmm. Like people don't want to put that 1.0 moniker on there because they're going to feel like they're judged. Oh, this is your 1.0, uh, <laughs> man. Uh, see ya. That right? Makes like sense. it's it's there's probably some of that. Yeah. In there too, you know. We're human. So mm-hmm. what we need to do is just design a perfect, elegant system that doesn't need, to, need any security updates. <laughs> <laughs> and we're golden. And uh, auto-updates your code base. There you go. Well, we w- to, we're going to write AI that writes your code AI. for us and constantly updates it. And then we just update the AI, and that's how we keep jobs, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We're not going to write code in the future. We're just going to be training AI. That's all. That's all we're going to do. Oh, wait, we have to do picks. Okay, we got to do picks. Yeah. Yes. Right. So I, I, uh, I've been listening to the podcast, uh, and I realize that I go on way too long on every pick, so my picks from now on are going to be like six words. So my first one is St. Louis City Museum. That's it. What That's about, my pick. What about it? You can, you can elaborate. <laughs> no. No, just, just, just... You have to go. Just go there. That's it. I'll go. So this week... Uh, ElixirConf EU video posted. It was a couple weeks ago in Berlin. And one of the keynotes was from Justin Schneck, and it's on enhanced embedded systems with NERS. And there's a YouTube video of that, and I thoroughly enjoyed it because I love Elixir and embedded systems. So I'll share that in show notes. I've got two. So my first one is... Um, you can't have two. Yeah, you can. No. Okay, I'll just go... I'll do one. Because this is the best one. Uh, does he go by K Lars? I thought it's just Lars. Is it just Lars now? So Lars, uh, Lars Lawn, right? He's two uh, two braids on Twitter. He works for Mozilla. Lives in a yurt. He's amazing, but he does this really cool maze art, and um, he like draws these intricate mazes with like you multiple. Just see it. It's just it's gorgeous. Like I'll, I'll post a link in the, in the show notes, but it's just like the most beautiful thing you'll ever see. And it's, it's great. Lisa? Um, so you all heard about this probably like, you know, two years ago. <laughs> Just kidding. But um, the site, have I been P-W-N-E-D? What do you say? Owned? But pwned? Yeah, pwned. How, how does that mean? Like, Say it. I, that's how you say it. That's how I say it, it now. That's, yeah. that's how I'm going to say it no. from now on. That's a hacker thing. Owned. Yeah, but, but like, it's owned. Pwned. Yeah, it, it's a play on own, so it's pwned. Pwned. Okay. It's probably a typo. Next together on, on the, key, on the <laughs> keyboard. Is that well, like, why? I knew like, it probably. meant owned, yeah. but like, I didn't know how you say the actual word. Because the O was not in there. Anyway. Um, where you can, there was a, a LinkedIn hack couple years ago but it's just coming to light and um so i you know i like remember hearing about this site on a podcast um you know maybe a, a month or so ago but um i went ahead and typed in my email addresses and uh i had two out of you know five on some of these things and i was just like huh wow. um yeah I, you know i like to think of myself as knowing a bit about security and how to use the web and yeah, well, well, not that you right can now, like so prevent this, like, but um, uh-huh. basically what it is, is um, the guy who maintains it. Yeah. Whenever there's a, have y'all heard about this? Yeah. Troy Hunt. 
I've heard them on several podcasts. Have you all heard about them? I've never heard of it. Yes. Oh, wow. Okay, cool. so it's new. So if I put in So Will I'm going to school you on it. No, I'm just kidding. Do it. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I, uh, I, it, it's just interesting oh, no. to know that. I know. Like, you're like, this is very alarming. Will, and Will, you've been pwned. Yeah, I got the um, Adobe Bitcoin Gmail dump in Heroes of New Earth. Mine was Veeble. There you go. So, um, a, I'm going to go change my passwords pick. on a couple things. Thanks. Thanks for listening to NashDev. Uh, be sure to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and SoundCloud at NashDevCast. This was edited for your listening pleasure by Rodney Norris and Clark Buckner of Relationary Marketing. Pwned.